Welcome to Stories of Terra. My name is Guy Black, or Raven Hood on the interwebs, and I'm just a humble storyteller here to draw you into the vast world of Terra by Riot Games. We've been running through a series thus far called The Child of Zon, which was a fan request but is quite the long little story. So it's my pleasure to bring you part three of Child of Zon, written by Ian St. Martin. If you want to get caught up on the story so far, go back and listen to our Urgot episode and part two of Child of Zon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. True to his claim, no one touches me when I leave. Not even a threat. I don't hear a harsh word until I'm clear of the place, and Ro catches up to me. She cuts me off. Who do you think you are? I... You left, Ro snaps. Years pass, and all of a sudden you just walk back in and think you know what's best for me? I heard enough. You can't tell me you actually believe all of this. What's so hard to believe? That there's someone out there who gives a damn about what's happening in the sump? I take a deep breath. I know a demagogue when I see one, Ro. They talk and they say anything to get folks spun up. But in the end, it's never their hands that get bloody. He's manipulating all of you. He's trying to help us. She shakes her head bitterly. Do you even remember what it's like down here? You got out, but the rest of us aren't so lucky. We say and stay separate and alone and nothing will ever change. He's going to set us free. How? I try like hell not to sound like a warden just now. And how many are going to be left alive when it's done? Do you know what he plans to do? Do you know something, Ro? Please, it's very important that you tell me. Something changes in her eyes. Why? Who are you going to tell it to? Wait, why are you even here? I, I just want to understand what has happened. I raise my hands, trying to walk back the suspicion curdling our talk. What is, what's happening now so that I can keep two cities from falling apart? Ro laughs, but it comes out half a sob. (laughs) You've been in the sun too long. You've lived up there for all these years. You say you care, but what the hell have you done for us? Ro. Just name something, she presses. One single thing you've done to help these people. To help me, instead of keeping us all locked up where we are. It's... It's not that easy. Why not? It's a simple question, but it hits me like a knife in the gut. 
A child might ask it, trying to understand why the world doesn't make sense. Forget it. Go on back up. You don't belong here. He's coming, Vi. Then you'll see. All of you. Up there. Yeah. Then you'll all see. Who? I grip her shoulder. Ro, who is he? Her expression goes cold. Everyone knows who the voice is talking about. Everyone but you. It's the Dreadnought. Dreadnought? It's night back up in the promenade. Kate's left behind anything that might make her stand out to be recognized as a sheriff of Piltover in the bustle where the two cities touch. Does it mean anything to you? I ask. Kate shakes her head once. I'll do some digging. See what I can turn up. What else can you tell me? I explain all that I had seen. Marks on every wall, the complete control over the sump, the voices' words when they gathered. They're organized, I tell her, and they're angry. And it's not a matter of if this boils over, but when. Okay, okay. (sighs) She takes a breath, processing. And when it boils over, do we know where or, or even how? I... I don't know. Kate's voice changes with the next question. It's lower, quieter. Have you heard any of them mention Hextech? Hextech? I frown. What does that have to do with Hextech? She repletes, locking my gaze to hers. You hear anyone start talking about gems, crystals, magic. That is the news I need to know immediately. A question surfaces in my head, one I don't want to ask, but will stay lodged there until I do. Do you already know what you're looking for, Kate? She looks at me. We are on the same side here, Vi. What side is that? The fact that she has to say such a thing puts me even further on edge. It isn't just the barons involved with this, is it? We've watched them feud with the gangs for years and never lifted a finger. And suddenly there's a new player on the scene so that the barons can't keep a leash. And now you're talking about Hextech. The clans get spooked about their margins. So they need us to go down and keep Zahn in the line? Kate doesn't answer. My blood's up and I push out a slow breath. (sighs) Guess I'll have to find out for myself. I told you what I could, what you needed to know. She looks me over, her eyes falling on my hand. You're hurt. I'll manage. I stand and start walking. Dawn's light doesn't reach this far down. The flickering Kim lamps make a poor substitute as I climb the steps to the front door of Hope House, where that little boy sits, alone. Hey, I say softly. Remember me? (laughs) I'm Rose, friend. My name's Vi. What's yours? Both of us are careful as I close the gap. He's pouting, cheeks flushed and arms crossed over his chest. Yulia. Yulia, I say, stopping a few stairs shy of him. Do you know where Roe is, Yulia? 
He nods his head. She's gone. Something grows cold in my stomach. Gone where, Yulie? The boy looks at me, the hurt making his eyes shiny in a grimy face. She came home mad, and then she left with some of her friends. Now, Yulie, this, this is very important. I reach out very slowly and place a hand on the stair he's sitting on. He watches me, but doesn't flinch away. Do you know where they went? She said they were done waiting. <sniffs> Yulia sniffles. I wanted to go, but she said I had to stay here. Where did they go? I try to keep my voice soft so not to spook him, but I'm getting impatient. The new tower. Yulia nods up towards Intrasol. She told me that they make the magic rocks there. And I asked if she'd bring me one. She promised that when she got back, she'd have enough for everyone. I'm already running. It takes time to get up to the Intrasol, but once I'm there, I know where to go. The Spire. A symbolic and literal image of the common Zonite's oppressors. It spans both cities. And while all the sweat and blood are shed in Zon, most of the money is spent in Piltover. And at the very tip of the spire is a dome where the merchant clan's representatives lord over the workers below. What a sight will greet them today if they bother to look down to see the base of their tower turned red with blood. The ground's already thick with dead when I arrive. Piltover may be the destination for the hex crystals, but the Kim Barons get their cut for having the spire on their turf and they make sure they have enough brutes on hand to keep the factories to secure. The cult must have run at the gates, dragging down the guards like a tide, and I see corpses from both sides littering the way. The security force had Kimtech weapons, training, experience, but they couldn't stop a wall of fanatics, armed with little more than blunt objects and the chance to get a little payback. The gates have been thrown open, and I see men and women that I recognize from the gathering hauling crates and inspecting racks of round metal canisters. I keep my distance, blending into the crowds. I find my way to where most of them are massing, around a pile of crates seized from the spire. Ah, I can't see Roe anywhere. Standing atop the crates is the voice. His face bloodied and bruised, his clothing torn. He looks like he'd been in the thick of the fighting. Using a pry bar, he levers open the nearest crate, revealing racks of small, gleaming blue stones. Oh. Synthetic Hextech Crystals. This is a momentous day, the voice holds up one of the crystals in triumph. Behold, the instrument of our freedom. For so long we have given everything and received nothing in return. Today... With these, we will balance those scales and take what is rightfully ours. His celebration is interrupted by the terrible screech of metal against stone. All eyes turn upward to the walls of the spire, where a dark shape can be seen descending in a great shower of dirty sparks. Even from a distance, it's enormous. An entire arm replaced by a massive cannon. The body perched on a multitude of splayed mechanical legs, segmented and ending in sharpened claws, gouging deep wounds into the spire. As it gets closer, I can see that the top portion is vaguely human, 
pallid flesh fused to metal and lambent green medical tubing, but the legs belonged to a monster, or or a spider. Dreadnought. I hear the name flicker through the crowd, whispered like a prayer. I had believed that the voice was deluded, or a charlatan, that the creature was something he'd conjured up to rally an army for himself, but... But he's real. Things have suddenly become far more dangerous. The dreadnought crashes to the ground, making an impact in a cloud of dust and rock splinters. The people fall to awed silence, parting before him as the clicking spider legs bring him to loom over his prophet. You're here, the voice says in ecstatic whisper. You're You're finally here. Indeed, my witness. His true voice is thunder rendered through furnace iron. I am here. I push into where the onlookers are thickest, my eyes darting, going from searching for Roe to watching what is unfolding. The voice leaps down from the crates, his hands full of Hextech crystals. Mighty dreadnought, the voice says, beaming. I offer these, hard one with the blood of your children, the key to our liberation. The voice pours the crystals into his master's flesh hand, stepping back in preparation for praise. Why did you bring these before me? The dreadnought tilts his hand and the crystals spill to the ground. Silence. Then, ah, uh, I don't understand, the voice stammers, watching the priceless gems scatter into the dust. That, that is clear. We've won you a fortune. With these we can buy weapons, armies. You think as they do. The dreadnought says it like an accusation. He looks out to the crowd. Hate over for what they have become, but revere their forebears, industrious, committed, those people possess the strength to harness the magic within our world and bend it to their will. Truly they, they were mighty. I can feel the crowd's confusion because I share it? All of the things they expected their savior to say, I can't imagine it was this. Yet, over time, the tool that they had forged bore more weight. It became a crutch, and then it became their master. They have made themselves into slaves. They awoke so shackled to these gyms that in their absence, the civilization they had inherited would end. He turns to the voice. Wealth. Wealth is a vice. It is not strength. The boy that I found that day appeared... Worthy. Was I mistaken? Unease sweeps over the crowd. 
we all become very aware that nearly every facet of the dreadnought is lethal, bladed, and weaponized as his hand cups the voice's jaw. I was chosen, the voice pleads. That day, you spared me. Indeed. The monster nods slowly. Though I am not infallible, I can seek out only my own failures and correct them. The voice screams, a sharp, short sound, a yelp of agony, and it's over. The dreadnought discards the body, immediately forgotten. I am Urgot, the creature says, turning to address the crowd. And I have heard you, Son, the whispers in your hearts, the things you have hoped and dreamt for me to be, the names, the titles, a liberator, a god. I speak before you now to say that I am none, none of these things. I am greater. I am an idea. Every person there flocks to him, wringing his monstrous form like a congregation. He reaches for one of the metal canisters, and I notice dozens more of them within the gates. I am a reflection of this world, an echo of the greatest contest between strength and weakness waged in each of our souls. With every breath we draw, we cannot be a god to you. That offering is not within my power. What I can offer you is a test to learn if you bear the strength needed to be your own god. A sick feeling creeps up in my spine. Urgot gestures to the medical tubing linking up his mechanical body to the mask covering his mouth and nose, then holds up the canister. It's covered with warning sigils. Toxic. Poison. What lies within this metal shell is the very air I have come to breathe. I took it in and I conquered it, for true liberation it comes from within. That is the message we will take to our enemies, our would-be oppressors. Urgot scans the crowd. Who among you has the strength to follow me, to take this misery within yourself and endure? Every one of them sinks to their knees, yearning to be baptized. Urgot! Urgot! They roar. Urgot! Very well. Urgot closes his hand over the canister's safety valve, pale fingers forming a claw. Let us see. The gas bursts out from between Urgot's fingers as he crushes the valve. He tears a rent in the canister, and a green cloud rushes out to envelop his followers. 
I'm near the back, away from the greatest concentration of it, but almost immediately people begin to die. Row, I whisper, pushing through the crowd as panic begins to set in. Men and women collapse, pinkish froth boiling from lips and noses. I find a breather mask discarded by the wreck of an equipment shed and pull it on as I feel the air begin to claw at my throat. Visibility devolves into a putrid greenish haze and I see silhouettes all around me, shivering and thrashing and toppling over. I I have to find Roe. I, I have to get her out. I have to find her. And I do. She's kneeling with a group of others, tendrils of mist rolling up their chests as it finally reaches them. Roe! She looks up, seeing me, the shy little girl I used to know. Roe stares me in the eye, vision clear with absolute belief, and breathes in. No! I skid to her side, and her skin begins to blacken, dark webs of corrupted veins filling with poison. She gags. Bloody foam rings from her lips, and I tear the breather mask from my face, trying to press it to hers. Rose spends the last of her strength fighting me, even as she sags to the ground. Her conviction that ironclad belief never leaves her eyes until the life does. Less than half of them are still alive when the cloud finally dissipates. Many of the survivors are those who are half-augmented, their jaws bracketed in clunky brass ESO filters and prosthetic windpipes. My mouth tastes like blood and burnt sugar. Tears cut through the grime on my face. Arise! Ergot lifts a hand, and his army clambers to their feet. Those who have passed the test bear the right and the duty to grant that trial to the world. He turns his eyes to the peak of the spire. For too long, they have been separated from the full fruits of their labor. It is time we return it to them. Woo! Rough. There's a lot in here. There's something about power and the arrogance to believe that we are greatest. When like there's there there's good and there's good and bad to learn from this. Like the good of using our pain and our suffering is something that can help us grow stronger, but to make it you make you so callous that you lose compassion. Don't know that I am. I am on that. I'm on the same wavelength. But we have one more part to this. It'll be part four. We'll read that next week with the close of our uh, Child of Zon four-part series uh, that was requested by a fan. I hope you all are enjoying it so far. Look forward to hearing from you and keep your eye out for our regular episode to be released just after this one. I believe it's Master Yi. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week.